Well, hello, uh, Bart. Um, welcome in our fourth podcast, Travel Health Podcast by Care Plus. Uh, in honor, or maybe it's not really an honor, of World Mosquito Day coming yes. up the 20th of August every year. The Care Plus Podcast by Travel Health Group with your host, Arnoud Albersberg. Bart, um, can you tell me a little bit more about yourself? And, uh, um, well, my name is Bart Knowles. I'm a medical entomologist by training, so I study bugs and particularly bugs that transmit disease between humans. So mosquitoes is basically my, my field of research. And, and uh, I hope that through my work I can contribute to solving some of the problems with these diseases around the world. Yeah, and you have been doing that for quite a while now, right? I'm taking 30 years. 30 year. years of research, yes. and mosquitoes specifically? Um, yeah, by far, mosquitoes, malaria, dengue, these are the ah. two prime diseases that I've been working on. Yeah, yeah. and I, I've, I've been looking you up at uh, YouTube, uh, very interesting uh, videos of you there. And uh, what strikes me is that you have uh, such a refreshing uh, approach to problems and problem solving. So that's uh, that's uh, the main reason why I w would like to have you here. Mm -hmm. And um, you have uh, helped us in uh, many cases. And uh, actually, we're doing uh, some projects together mm -hmm. in Uganda at the moment mm -hmm. with uh, printed mosquito nets. Maybe mm -hmm. we can uh, look at that uh, later on. But uh, yeah, it's, it's World Mosquito Day uh, why do we have why do we need a world mosquito day yeah i mean the the, the history of, of world mosquito day itself is is fascinating it was the the 20th of august 1897 when for the first time uh, sir ronald ross he was an, an army surgeon a british army surgeon working in india saw the malaria parasite inside a mosquito and that was the the first time that we got some definitive proof that mosquitoes are actually engaged in the transmission of malaria. And from that time onwards, it was actually the, the notion that if you would protect yourself against mosquito bites, that you would protect yourself against malaria. And that was something that until that time we didn't know. So it was a, it was a, a massive discovery, that's one. And two, it was a discovery that changed the, 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 the face of the political world because suddenly now the British Empire could expand in all territories and have a much bigger impact on societies because they knew that they could protect the colonial forces by simply controlling mosquitoes from biting them. But uh, controlling for mosquitoes biting is not that simple, is it? No, but I, I mean, in, in the old days, in the old days when we first got the notion that mosquitoes are engaged in the transmission of, of all these diseases, it was mostly the physical barrier, putting a physical barrier between yourself and okay. a mosquito. Like thinking about, you know, uh, screens and windows, these kind of things that were um, helping people to protect themselves against malaria. Mm. But the mosquitoes uh, were a nuisance much longer because you're talking about screens, but mosquito nets, I, I uh, read somewhere that they're more than thousands of years Mos old. Probably. I mean, the first, the first time that, that there was a mention of, of mosquito nets was 500 BC, so 500 before Christ. Herodotus, really? he actually wrote about the Egyptians using the, their nets during the day for fishing and at night they were sleeping under the nets to protect themselves against the gnats, against the, the mosquitoes. Okay. Yeah, yeah because in Dutch uh, we use the word klambu, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, apparently it's a Malaysian word, is that correct? Klambu? Uh, probably, I'm not yeah. sure. Okay, yeah. I, I, I found that somewhere. So apparently in the Southeast Asian mm -hmm. uh, area that was a thing. 
for a long time already. Yes. Yes. And but that was apparently before we knew that malaria was transmitted by mosquitoes. Correct. Because I think that's it, only a hundred years old. Uh, uh, correct. Years I old. think it's primarily that people just wouldn't want to get bitten at night and be bothered by mosquitoes. Yeah, so it was more like a like nuisance. A, a nuisance biting, and and the disease was secondary in those days. But now we know better. Now we know much better. And as as it is, I mean the the, the bat net. We've got a bat net on the table here. The bat net is is still today one of the prime tools that we have for controlling malaria around the world. I mean, this is this is the tool. This is the tool that in the in the period 2000 to 2015 um, averted seven million lives from you know people wow. dying uh, because they were sleeping under nets. They were protected. There's more than 700 million cases of malaria that were averted in that same period. And 70% of all that protection came from sleeping under insecticide-treated bat nets. So the, 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 there is no doubt that the bat net has played a massive role in controlling malaria and probably will continue to do so for a long time to come. But then it's uh, very important that the people that need them get them, right? It is, it is one, important that we make sure that people do get them in time. Mm-hmm. Because generally speaking, a, an, an, a treated net will last for a maximum of three years and then it should be replaced by a new one to have the optimum protection. And so you need to get your nets to the people in time. Two, you need to make sure that people are using the nets. And I think that there, there's where we are stumbling upon, upon the becoming a victim of our own success. In some parts of Africa, malaria has gone down to such an extent that people don't see cases of malaria around them anymore. They don't see the children mm. suffering that much. And as a result, they go like, well, you know, it's pretty Forget hot sleep, pretty hot sleeping under a net. So why would I why would I use it if there's no malaria? And mm. getting the net there, making sure that people are using it and that they're not misusing it. So that they're not using it for fishing or that they're using it as a bridal veil or they're using it for yeah. What I, for protecting the chickens. I mean, people are very ingenious when it gets to... Yeah, that's what I saw on Zanzibar, unfortunately, last year. Yeah, That they used it as a fence to yes, sort of uh, the fence off their home. Correct. It's not uh, really used for uh, protecting against mosquitoes. You were mentioning, just briefly for our listeners and viewers, uh, impregnated uh, nets. Uh, what is that uh, exactly? Like, like here in Europe, you can sleep under a net that doesn't have any insecticide on. I mean, because the risk of getting a disease through a bite is not an issue. Even when a mosquito would bite through the net if you're, if you're touching it with your arm or a sure. leg or whatever. But in the tropics, that is an entirely different story because a mosquito bite there might give you a disease that could potentially be life-threatening. So the addition of the insecticide in the yarn, so in the, in the netting itself, mm-hmm. which is now during, during the manufacturing stage of the net, um, this impregnation will make sure that two things happen. One is that the, the insecticide is, that is in the net will actually repel the mosquitoes, so it will stop them from actually landing on the net and trying to bite through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, uh, that, same, that same effect, that repellent effect, um, makes sure that even if there are holes, small holes in the net, that the mosquitoes will no longer fly in through these holes because of that repellent effect. Okay? And then for the mosquitoes that do actually land, on the net, they will contact it and they will pick up insecticide, which will kill them afterwards. So that means that this this killing effect will also mean that if your neighbor doesn't have a net, doesn't sleep under a net, but but 80% of the people in the village do, that the 20% that doesn't use a net are going to get protection. So there's a, it's a community protective effect that you okay. get through uh, people sleeping under treated nets. 
Yeah, and that uh, was born somewhere in the 80s. Is that correct? Uh, the, the 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 sort of in the late in the late 1980s the, in the, in the Gambia and West Africa, the first yeah. trial was done with uh, 20,000 children involved in a trial. Um, a lot of these children sleeping under treated nets, children sleeping under untreated nets. So there was a comparison, and children sleeping without nets. And then there was an astonishing result of some 60% reduction in the number of children dying when they were sleeping under treated nets. So mm. that was actually the birth of the insecticide treated net. Then after that, it took a few trials in other parts of Africa, in Kenya, in uh, Tanzania, and the results of all these trials combined were so encouraging uh, that the World Health Organization then started to promote it. And so through funding from the Global Fund mm -hmm. and UNICEF, then we saw you know a massive um, um, increase in the production of treated nets and uptake in sub-Saharan Africa. So, I mean, we're, I think we're now taking more than 2 billion nets that have been distributed so far um, in sub-Saharan Africa. So it's massive. But, but uh, annual demand is still massive as well, right? It's, it's still huge. I mean, the, the, let's not forget, 70% of all the malaria in the world we find in, in Africa, south yeah. of the Sahara. Um, the vast majority of that we just find in four countries. So, so that there are there are few parts in Africa, Nigeria, Uganda, DRC, uh, Tanzania. So that there's few countries that ha that have the majority of the problem uh, in them. So if we if we have a strong focus on these countries, there's a lot to win there mm. in in bringing malaria down to lower numbers. Having said that, I think it is high time that we are having demonstrations in Africa that we can actually go down to zero and keep it there. And that's where the, I think the big holy grail is, where everybody, everybody has that point on the horizon and we don't have it yet. What is the package to go down to zero and to keep it there? Yeah, but it's never one thing, is it? And uh, uh, like you said, if you don't go down to zero, it never goes away. It's uh, I, yesterday uh, I had some new colleagues in the office. I, I made uh, maybe the wrong comparison with antibiotics. You know, if you have uh, bacterial disease and the doctor prescribes antibiotics, and they always say you have to finish yeah, the course. Uh, the course, and what everybody does, they feel better after three days, and they uh, they skip it. Yes, and which is actually very bad because you sort of create yes. resistance yes. in the bacteria yes. and you will get ill again or worse. And uh, basically it's the same with, there, with, with there this is, issue. There is no doubt that, that if, you, if you have whatever disease it is lingering on, there are still few cases. The, the, the pathogen is still there that evolution sooner or later is going to catch up with you and you lose the tool. So whether that's an insecticide or whether it's a drug, you're, you're going to lose yeah. them because of resistance. So there is only one way in which we can sustainably get rid of these diseases, and that is to learn how to go down to zero and to mm. keep it there. Mm. And I, th I think what we see now, I mean, that there's been a trial in, in the so in southern province of Zambia. There's been a trial in the south of Mozambique where for years they've been trying to go to zero by having a sort of an integrated package where we are doing mass drug administration, we treat everyone with antimalarials, we do indoor residual spraying with insecticide, we put people under bed nets, sort of we have the total package and we see if we can eliminate. And both of these trials have not succeeded in going down to zero. They've gone down to really low levels, but they've not, not gone zero. down to zero. So the, the question now becomes, what do we need to add to this package in order to go down to zero? And there are people that will argue, 
well, without a vaccine, we will never make it. Yeah. There are people that say, let's go back to the old and proven tools that we've used in other parts of the world, like larval source management, you know, controlling yeah. the aquatic stages of the mosquitoes, which they didn't do in Zambia nor in Mozambique. And it might just be that if you add one of these old and proven tools, that you do hit the zero line, mm. and you may be able to keep it there. So that's the holy grail. And, and yes. uh, you mentioned uh, Ronald, uh, who, who, Ron Ross. Uh, Ron, Ron Ross, he uh, discovered it, and we're now 120 years later, and we're still not there. I find I find it intriguing that that Ronald Ross in 1902, so so five years after he he yep. made the discovery, in 1902, which was also I think the year when he got the Nobel Prize for it, um, that um, he wrote a book, Mosquito Brigades and How to Organize Them, and I I can guarantee you that if you read this book today, that you're going to get more or less a blueprint as to what you should be doing really in order to control mosquito-borne disease. Absolutely, it's a it's a fantastic book. So that was written 118 years ago. And here we are today, we are looking into things like, you know, how can we, uh, how can we mine the genome of the malaria parasite in order to find new drug targets? How can, we, how can we have libraries? How can we have robots running to give us a new uh, insecticide? All of, this, all of this research, but the old and proven stuff that is now almost 120 years old. We can learn it's so still much. Still actual. From that. Yes, it is. And, and it sounds like a, like a sort of a military approach. It is. It is definitely a top-down approach. And I and I'm and this is controversial, but I am a very strong believer of a top-down approach because I don't believe that at the time when a disease is practically gone, that you're going to get society to back you to help you to go to zero. Hmm. When people don't see it anymore, well, let's look at. COVID, let's look at Corona. I mean, this is yeah. exactly what we see now, even here in the Netherlands. When it's practically gone, when the, when the government tells you that, oh, well, it, the risk is now significantly less than a few months ago, then you lose everyone. And, and so yeah. the same thing applies to malaria. If people don't see it anymore, um, if it's hardly present, then having those people, those same people help you to go down to zero, I just don't see that happening. Hmm, that's not a very positive message. Well, the, the one thing that I, that I would like to see is that you, there's one thing that you absolutely require, and that is community consent. So in other words, the community where you're going to control malaria or the area where you're going to do this, people need to back you. People need to say, okay, go ahead and do this. Okay. And initially, if people want to join you, if people want to join forces and help you to get mm. that malaria out of that place, then fine. But I would say never count on the, those communities to help you to go down to zero. It's just not going to happen. But is that also a matter of knowledge that is lacking? Or you already mentioned motivation? Uh, that, 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 that's the problem? Because I'm a simple thinker. So I think if I tell you what the problem is and I tell you what you could do to help with the solution, you start nodding and you will do that, hopefully. Yes, I think I think one of one of the, the the key issues that we that we're facing when it gets to sub-Saharan Africa is that when people grow up, mm -hmm. because in the very first day of life as a baby, you probably get your first injection of parasites through a mosquito bite. Yeah, and so what what children do is as they grow older they start building up some natural immunity mm -hmm. to to malaria, and that means that the chance of a child dying of malaria after the age of five is significantly reduced. You can still die of the disease, 
but your mm-hmm. chance of dying is much, much, much smaller. And that means that I, you know, I have friends, I have colleagues in Tanzania and Kenya, when they get malaria themselves, they, they pop a few paracetamols and that's it. They don't, they don't even need to take okay. an anti-malarial drug. So living, living with malaria is, is relatively easy as an adult. Okay, okay. that sounds so, strange. So what we, what we do is you, me, we here, we, we put this as a, as a really high priority. I think the challenge that we face is for those countries to put the same level of priority in getting malaria out of the country mm. as you and I wanted it. But then uh, maybe maybe that's a nice uh, bridge here. Uh, but what I see with, when I talk about this topic with my friends and colleagues, it still is some sort of a not in my backyard problem. Yes. And I think until uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation stepped up and put some funds in malaria prevention research mm-hmm. and all that, nobody was caring. Mm-hmm. But um, now we see also other infectious diseases uh, on the rise and that they can come closer, right, to, to yes, our backyard. They do. They do. And I, and, and I think... I think perhaps that may actually be, in inverted commas, a good thing. Because like with Corona, Corona has hit us and suddenly we have, what is it, 140 vaccine targets on the table within a few months. So so apparently... It's like a wake-up call. It is a wake-up call. So apparently when something hits us here in the West, then suddenly we, A, we start investing a huge amount of money. I mean, there's more than 30 billion going into uh, Corona vaccine research at the moment. Hello. And two, we can do it very, very, very fast. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's you know, more than a handful of, of uh, vaccine candidates already in a phase three trial stage where normally we hear, well, this is going to take you 10 years, 10 years yeah, okay, to bring saying, a yeah. new vaccine or drug to the market. Apparently, we can do this much, much, much faster. So there are some clever minds around, apparently. Well, well either I, I've been asking questions about this, like, Big Pharma always tells us it takes us 10 years to do this. And in order to recuperate our investment, sorry, we have to make the vaccine or the drug very expensive. Otherwise, when our uh, patent expires a decade later, we never get our money back. That's the marketing story. That's the marketing story. And actually, that's a story that I teach my students. Okay, Ah. I always tell them the story. But now, now with COVID, it's suddenly like, okay, we can do this within months. That means either... Either in terms of safety and scientific rigor, we just say, okay, we had close an eye and we just go very fast. Or Big Pharma has always been telling us stories that are yeah. just not true. They can do it much faster than they claim. Yeah. So I would hope that we learn lessons when we talk about malaria or other mosquito-borne diseases that hopefully this will also expedite the development of vaccines for these mosquito-borne diseases and that we will do it mm. faster. I mean, let's not forget, if we talk about malaria vaccines, it's less than a handful. And there's only a few that are actually in the field at the moment being tested. Whereas for COVID, I mean, there's now 140 being developed. I think this is... Within months. Within months. And I think this is... I mean, we started developing malaria vaccines in 1957. 1957. And we've got two out there at the moment. So this, I think this is an uh, an eye-opener for mankind. It should be an eye-opener for mankind. Yeah, and so, so vaccines are very important also on the preventive side, but uh, 
just briefly back to malaria, which is not in our backyard and is in poor countries, is that uh, uh, is Big Pharma at all interested in the end to work on that? Because can they make money? I, I, I think they can. And I think it's not, it's not going to be that the individual that is going to have uh, his or her child vaccinated in, in, in the Central African Republic, okay. that that person is not going to pay for the jabs. I mean, those injections will be paid for through the international community, through the Global Fund or okay. UNICEF or WHO yeah. or, the, or the Gates Foundation. So I think very often what people do is they, they say, well, this kind of technology will never, will never get a foothold in Africa because it's too expensive to use it there. And I don't think that's the case. I okay. think it's, if it's something that is really effective, if we would have, let's say, a, uh, like, I mean, look at the yellow fever vaccine, mm-hmm. one shot protection for life. Almost right. complete protection, right? So it's probably the best vaccine we ever made. So that that means that you know this is this is the ideal thing, and and going forward with these kind of vaccines, um, there will be money. There will be money to use these vaccines. It's if with yellow fever, it's the production issue, okay? Because we need chicken eggs mm-hmm. for it. But if we could produce a lot of yellow fever vaccine, I'm sure that that would be international funding to get it distributed around the world and, and so that we would nowhere have any outbreaks of yellow fever. And, and where do you see in the going down to zero what you mentioned, the, the vaccine as, uh, as in, uh, important? A part or is that uh, yeah, a smaller I, I, part? Because I, who, who will say? I mean, I always get these questions. Like, if you combine larval control with bed nets, with indoor residual spraying, uh, with with uh, good antimalarial drugs, with good diagnostics, whatever we have on the shelf, and I think I think the one thing that we should get rid of as soon as possible is to say, what was the contribution of this? What was the contribution of that? What was the contribution of this? Because it's going to be really hard to give answers. To those questions, mm-hmm. and as a result of that, we very often see that you know you have your tool and you study it in country X, and you don't want anything else there. You don't want to interfere because you want to measure the impact of your tool. I'm in another country and I study my tool, and I don't want anybody else, anybody else to interfere. Whereas perhaps if we would join forces and we would use your tool and my tool in country C, mm-hmm. that perhaps we might go down to zero. So I think I think it's not which tool is better, which tool gives you what contribution, I think what we should be doing is we should say, okay, we are now in this ecological setting. This mm-hmm. is how the transmission is. This is how the climate is in that particular setting. What is the optimum package that you and I can think of that we could deploy there to try and go down to zero and keep it there? So it's like a, sh- a supermarket shelf with solutions. That's it. And you pick whatever you need for that specific That's it. Uh, so we learn, geographical area. We learn how to eliminate. In Dutch, we moeten leren elimineren. We have Very to learn good. how to eliminate. And unfortunately, I see no places where we are really trying to do this. Okay. Not nowhere in Africa do we really see this this truly integrated program. It's, so it's more like a holistic approach, it's right? Totally holistic. Yeah. And I think for Africa, where, where transmission is so intense, and in many places, Central Congo, perennial, mm. all year round transmission. Uh, that we will we will require everything that we have on the shelf. Cool. Let's take a short break and uh, drink some water. This is exciting stuff. Uh, we'll be back uh, in a second. Care Plus Podcast by Travel Health Group. We're back, and uh, yeah, we just decided in a little break that we want to move uh, not so far away. Let's stay in uh, in Europe, in the in the Western world. 
uh, it's World Mosquito Day and um, obviously there are other mosquitoes that can transmit other infectious diseases other than nuisance so um, we had uh, last year in the Netherlands uh, some reports of a tiger mosquitoes being found in uh, second-hand car tires. Mm -hmm. What's that all about? Well, this is this is the the story about the invasive mosquitoes coming coming to the Netherlands, um, arriving in the Netherlands now through actually three pathways. I mean, it used to be two, but there's now three. This is this is by by used tires. So used tractor tires, airplane tires, they get refurbished or they get used for other purposes and they're being traveled around the world in containers. Now, if let's say in country somewhere in Southeast Asia, there are these tires and they're lying around and it, it's raining, then they fill up with, you know, a puddle of, water, a puddle yeah. of rainwater and yeah. mosquitoes, they come and they lay their eggs there. And when these, when these tires dry out, that's when the eggs remain and these eggs, they can, they can survive for a long time. In, in a dry condition. Okay. So if they are then tr being transported in containers, they come by sea and then they are being transported to the companies here in the Netherlands that are working with these tires. And we put these tires outside, we get Dutch rain, Dutch rainwater flooding these eggs and the eggs they hatch and they come out as uh, exotic mosquitoes in the Netherlands. And this is something that is happening more and more often. So this, the second route is more or less similar, but then coming on small little uh, uh, plants, the the uh, the uh, what are they called again? The lucky bamboo plants, okay. um, and the lucky bamboo plants they come from the south of China, and so that's how they uh, how they end up uh, here in the Netherlands. But then the eggs are in the soil, or they no, they are on the, the, the small little plants that are being transported here. They they lay them at the base of these plants, and that's how these eggs get here. Then then here they're being flooded so that the the lucky bamboo can actually grow, and that's when these eggs they hatch and they turn into um, tiger mosquitoes, and this has been this has been known since 2009, um, and this is something that um, actually before 2009, 2005. So we're talking 15 years, but every year the number of times that this is happening is increasing, and the number of locations where this is happening is increasing. So th there's no learning here. Because yeah, well, I, I guess you can check a container or put something in a container that, yeah, certainly, that destroys the That's eggs right. Or I mean, that, uh, so there is some legislation in the Netherlands um, as to what these importers should do. Uh, these tires, they should actually be under a roof. So if they, if they don't get flooded, if there's no rainwater in them, then the eggs won't hatch. So then you don't have a problem. But this is uh, legislation that cannot be enforced by, by the hand of the law. So it's basically useless. Okay. So... The, those companies importing car tires, whatever they do, they can basically get away with it. Um, and, and so every year we have these outbreaks of, uh, of tiger mosquitoes, which in itself would not be an issue were it not for the fact that these are extremely good transmitters of a whole suite of viral diseases. These are really good transmitters of diseases. So that's basically a mosquito that you would not want to have in your backyard. And, and this is where the problem is happening in the third introduction route. Okay. The third introduction route is now that people had to go on holiday in like, like in Southern Europe and they come back and they have their, uh, their caravan or their camper or whatever, cars, uh, where these mosquitoes that are active during the day, the tiger mosquitoes, they bite yep. during the day, they follow you, they fly into the car or into the camper and you accidentally, you transport them all the way back from France, Southern France, okay. all the way back to the, to the Netherlands. 
And as it is, I mean, at, at the moment, the distribution of these, of these mosquitoes in France is shocking. I mean, it's, they are literally, you know, 100-something 100, 100 kilometers away from the Belgian border. So it, it, it will not take long before we will have uh, these same mosquitoes standing at our border and they will cross the borders because they don't recognize them. And then we have them in the Netherlands. And once we have established populations of these mosquitoes, that's when it will be a matter of time before we will have transmission of disease. Yeah, because the, the tiger mosquito, as you mentioned, that's uh, quite a tough one, right? This is, uh, it can it, survive easily in colder climates. It, it, is, it is the number one in, insect, actually organism in the world, that it's the most invasive species in the world. So it is an, an, a mosquito that originates from Southeast Asia. That's why it's called the Asian tiger mosquito. Uh, but you'd find it now almost in every corner of the world. So through globalization, mm. increase in trade and travel, uh, this insect has found its way to most corners of the world. And, and from your uh, expertise and what you are doing, you mentioned this is already going on for more than 10 years. Uh, with, with this lucky bamboo and importing of car tires. Uh, do you see any governmental uh, involvement here or is it recognized or are we just blunt and... It's, it's just, we, we, have, we have some policy guidelines. As to, you know, when we have an outbreak somewhere, it's being reported to, to the authorities, to the NVVR, um, and they will then come and inspect. They will then come and spray. I always wonder how they know what they should spray because and where, and where because these, these mosquitoes they may originate from anywhere in the world they yeah. may be resistant to insecticides and then you're just spraying for nothing and, um, and where do you stop spraying and and Is where do you stop on the car park or the tire it's very or? very difficult um with all due respect i mean so far we have not had a population that has established itself <clears throat> so these people have done a good job they have managed to to, to keep it under control But with the frequency of, of incursions, the frequency of invasions that we sure. see now, it is just going to be a matter of time before we lose the battle. And we have lost the battle once with another mosquito, with the, the sister of the, of the tiger mosquito. Okay. Um, and, and that mosquito has established itself in the province of Flevoland. And we are no longer controlling it. We are no longer trying to get It's rid of there. it. It's it is there. It is there. And so the minister has, has said, okay, well, the cat is out of the back. It would be too expensive to control this mosquito to try okay. and get rid of it. So we will con we will continue controlling it outside Flavorland, but not in Flavorland itself anymore, which I find a very strange thing in the first place. But so it's, so it's there, and that mosquito is capable of transmitting 11 different diseases. Can, can you name a few just for people to relate uh, to? So or? so the, I think people will remember the Zika virus, which we yeah. had a few years ago, which Brazil, was a, a global a global yeah. pandemic of, of Zika virus. Um, Only for one year, by the way, which is also well, it is still it is still there, but it's no longer in the media. Hmm. But it's still it's still there, not in the same yeah. uh, level because herd immunity kicked in. Herd immunity, which we mm -hmm. hear a lot about with mm -hmm. Corona. And, Anyway, okay. so, so Zika, but also uh, Japanese encephalitis, which is a brain inflammation, which we have dengue, uh, we have West Nile virus, you know, all of these nasty viruses that are there uh, that we already that can have. All one species of mosquito that we have in Flevoland in the Netherlands that can transmit all those viruses potentially. That's, that's correct. And, okay. and, and against none of these diseases do we have a vaccine. And against none of these diseases do we have specific medication. 
So basically, you get it, you have it. Okay, yeah. so it's like, it's like Corona. I, I, sometimes maybe it even looks like for Corona, we have some drugs now on the shelf, um, at least to take the life-threatening aspect of it, you know, down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but but when we're talking when we're talking about dengue, I mean, you can get people that get uh, through a bite of a mosquito get the dengue virus, and it knocks them down for eight, nine, ten months. More or less similar with what we see with some people that have. Lyme or that yeah. have a corona, that they suffer from that infection for a very, very long time. And uh, we don't really understand why that is. Uh, these may be genetic factors. But um, the point is, if you get a disease like that, uh, it's going to have a big impact. Mm. And it's again an example where, you know, we've always said, well, the chance that we will be hit by another SARS, you know, another SARS we had in 2003. Yeah. The chance that we will get that is so small. It's so small. Why do we worry so much? And then it came. Yeah. And then it and we came. We know what happened. And now we've learned. So, so I, I hope that even though we always hear the same thing when we're talking about mosquito-borne diseases, it's mm. always like, ah, the chance that this will happen. So small. Why do, why do, you, make, why do you scare people so much? That's what I hear a lot. And now, hopefully, through Corona, I can make people understand that if we get hit by these mosquito-borne diseases, we're going to get similar trouble, and we just don't want that. Yeah. So, yeah, the analogy between Corona and insect-borne diseases, and uh, that it will happen, and not uh, it's, it's, we only don't know when. Uh, that leaves also, I think, much more responsibility and maybe finally awareness with us as consumers as inhabitants mm-hmm. of uh, European uh, mm-hmm. or North American uh, part of the world. And uh, so, so that's actually necessary that we sort of re-evolve and say, okay, maybe we cannot control uh, what's happening around us, but we can control what we can do. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, we, if we stick with the mosquitoes for now and not uh, with Corona, what what are typical things we have to learn in and around our home uh, in the next years, or we should maybe doing it already? But uh, can, can yeah, I think I think what we what we're going to see. Um, let, let's say let's say if tomorrow uh, West Nile virus would would strike somewhere in the Netherlands, which which is which is not a hypothetical scenario. I mean, West Nile is it, it is it is in Germany. I mean. We find it in birds in Germany. So and, and, and birds they fly and they fly long distance. So it, it could happen tomorrow. Um, so so what we what will we then do? What we will ask civilians to do in order to reduce the risk yeah. of, of such a virus spreading? I think a, a key thing is is a message that we are always already giving to people in developing countries is like make sure that you have no standing water around the house. Has that worked? No, it's just not working. That strategy. It's just so hard to get into people's mind that they should. They don't understand the question, or no people. What is it? No or people. It people understand. The hassle. People understand the risk. People understand that standing water is asking for trouble with mosquitoes and potentially dengue, particularly dengue. Mm-hmm. But the, the strategy in itself is just. It's just so hard. I mean, if you, you know the plastic soup story, mm-hmm. and I always talk when we are talking about mosquito-borne diseases, mm-hmm. I talk about the plastic soup on land. It is the trash. It is the all of the junk that is lying around the houses. Empty cans, empty cans, drinks, buckets, uh, 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 you know, paint cans. What, whatever is there lying around the house that can hold rainwater is all potential breeding sites for these mosquitoes. So, and it's the smallest. 
Oh, it's bottle it's, of water, it's right? the, the, the top of a of a, of a beer bottle. I mean, the top it's, of a beer bottle. That, that, that's turn, a breeding that, area. That is a breeding, can be a breeding site. So so you you need nothing, and so keeping that under control is a key strategy that we always hear through the World Health Organization. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the kind of thing that people should do, and they should. And, and so I, clean up. Clean up is definitely good. Okay. Generally, in terms of public health. Yes. <laughs> uh, but idea. but for people to actually do it, I, I I find it hard. It's really hard. You can have billboards. I've seen billboards in in the Caribbean. Yeah. You know, make sure that you clean up your place, and then you go to places and it's there's trash everywhere. So that's one strategy. The second strategy is is actually based at the house itself, and that is okay. make sure that the insect just can't get anywhere close to you. Okay, so that is the, the structural adjustments of your house, making sure that um, <clears throat> that you have uh, the, the window screening, for instance, or door screening, the porch. Mm -hmm. The porch is mm -hmm. the, the perfect example of how the U.S. got rid of its malaria, the, the porch in the southern states, uh, so that people are no longer being bitten. The, the, the third strategy is then actually in the bedroom. So when, when you are at night, and we've got the bed net on the table here, mm -hmm. The insecticide treated bed net is then your your way to make sure that you have a peaceful sleep and that you don't get bitten and that you don't get disease. So we need bed nets here in Europe, in North America, if, if, in our homes. If we are going to be confronted with uh, with night biting mosquitoes transmitting uh, vector borne diseases, mosquito borne diseases, then uh, I think your nets are going to do very well in Europe. Yeah. I saw uh, yesterday, actually, I saw a picture of uh, a family in Denmark, apparently also lots of mosquitoes, maybe not all uh, transmitting mm -hmm. uh, diseases, but a big nuisance. And they had put up on the veranda, on the porch, they had put up a bed net mm -hmm. outside mm -hmm. because they said, we cannot sit outside, sit outside yes. without it, which was strange for me because uh, for me, it's a bad product, but apparently it's... Uh, More that's that's that. the porch. It's it's simply the porch. They've created a porch for themselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Personal so it's, porch. But it, yeah. but this is this is what I what I foresee. I foresee a a massive increase in uh, in products that um, are protecting people against mosquito bites. Where I would warn straight away for the the flurry of products that are absolutely shameless because they don't do anything. I heard about an app that can protect me against well, mosquitoes. Well, there it is. The app, the app with the ultrasound, uh, which people, you know, pay money for in the in the app store or whatever. Uh, the 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 bracelets, the, the bracelets uh, with citronella oil or whatever else they put in there. Uh, all of these products do absolutely nothing to protect people against uh, mosquito-borne diseases or bites, for that matter. They just don't protect you at all. So I think I think what we need is two things. We need we need more and better products and two we need legislation that will push the rubbish out of the market and i think that's where governments come in to say give us the definitive proof that your product is actually protecting people against mosquitoes yeah, like and if they don't yeah exactly and if they don't like like any product that we bring to the market in developing countries is going through a rigorous process yeah. getting a bed net onto the market as as a company is not an easy thing to do. It oh. will take you years because they're going to ask you for all sorts of data. Um, and I think we should do the same thing when, when it gets yeah. to Holland and products on the, on, or on the European market. Yeah. Much, much more rigorous legislation. Yeah, and, but 
again, it's also the, the habit of the people that they are looking for an easy way out. So instead of protecting themselves, for example, with topical repellents mm -hmm. on exposed skin, mm -hmm. uh, if I tell them, yeah, if you put a button on your forehead, it will protect you, they will say, oh, great, so yes. I don't have to use a repellent. Yes. And they immediately are open to try and they don't even look at the efficacy data because uh, they want an easy way out. So it's very, we, we as, a, as a company mm -hmm. providing these products mm -hmm. for nearly 30 years now, find it really hard to tell that story and also to uh, convince people that there is so much uh, rubbish on yes. the market and uh, myths. Yes. If, if you look at our Facebook site, there is a whole discussion now under one of our posts and you know the story, but it's still there, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, you have to use vitamin B. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, I take it every day and I never get bitten. Yeah. And then for us, as a sort of an expert, it's very difficult to go into argument with them but because they think it works for them. Yes. yes. Uh, but then I have to try to explain and say, look, maybe you have been bitten, but you don't have any allergic reactions. Yes. Yes. And and that's not a problem here if it's a nuisance, but it's a big problem yes. if you're bitten by an infection uh, mosquito that can yes. carry diseases. Yes. So so I mean it's like again again the analogy here with with corona and mm -hmm. hydroxychloroquine. I mean it's it's yeah. it's it's, it's antimalarial. It, yeah. it, which isn't antimalarial, uh, yeah. but but I mean I've taken that stuff for years. I've been taking chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine for years. And and so um but it it's it's, it's it it becomes dogmatic very quickly and I think when it gets to to uh, products protecting yourself against against mosquito bites I think there go to any product website and the first thing you read is a whole long list of testimonials and the testimonials I think they're genuine they, they may be genuine they may be genuine mm -hmm. but it's like I'm going on a holiday this year and I end up in, in the south of Portugal where it's bone dry and there's no mosquitoes Okay, and I'm wearing my bracelet, and I don't get bitten because there are simply no mosquitoes. So it works. So last year we were on the same camping, and it was raining, 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 and there were oodles of mosquitoes. But I was not wearing my bracelet, oh. and I was bitten to death. This year it's perfect because I've got my bracelet. No, this year it's perfect because there are no mosquitoes. But these um, people will go to these websites and they will write glorious testimonials. So the so, next one will buy. So the next one is gonna buy the same. Bracelet, yeah. and and I think that is something that is really hard to control, and perhaps the only way to control this is by having a top down, having the government say, "Does your product work? If not, you're not allowed to bring it on the market." Oh. So talk, talk uh, switching to that uh, briefly. Uh, uh, you mentioned uh, things you can do around the house, in the house, around your bedroom, and then there's the personal protection. Um, for years and years, we have uh, several active ingredients that uh, uh, have a certain protection mm -hmm. time against uh, mosquitoes. Um, do you see any sort of uh, innovations there? Any, any, because what I also see with our uh, clientele um, is that they are also reluctant to use a repellent mm -hmm. because they say, yeah, but I'm, I'm healthy and why should I put on some stuff? And we try to make an analogy, uh, analogy to uh, sunscreens, which has taken us also a couple sure. of decades to get in people's minds that sure. it's useful to use a sunscreen if you're in the sun. But um, so pe and people are lazy and on the lookout on easy ways out. Is there 
have you seen any uh, sort of innovations there or developments or well I, I, I in, in terms be? of in terms of actives there there's there's very little eh? there's actually very little on the shelf let's be honest about this and I think it's the formulation of the active that will that will determine the effectiveness of the product because sure. that will determine how slow or how fast you're losing it from the skin and actually that's also determining the price very often uh, so but but of the of the limited arsenal that we have I mean DEET is of course the, by, by far the, the, the most well known that's the oldest one right uh, 1950s and, and uh, is used by more than 200 million people uh, worldwide every year with with hardly any uh, serious side effects reported so a, a really good product and it does the job there are there are some inc- there are some some indications now that there may be resistance to of populations of uh, yellow fever mosquitoes in Florida against uh, DEET but it's not a, like a, they touch the product, right? So how can there be a resistance? No, I mean, so that they break through the repellent effect. So the, the normally, it's just the, 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 vape, the vaporization yeah, yeah. of DEET from your skin would keep the mosquitoes at bay, and now they just laugh at it, and they just keep on flying, and they land, and they bite. Okay, so we need something else. So so we, we do need something else. Uh, there is... I mean, there's uh, just recently this, this note Catone, which is... which is now suddenly approved by the EPA in the US. So uh, we may see that as a product that is coming to market against more than just mosquitoes, also against ticks, against sand flies. Uh, so maybe that is the new one on the shelf, which is, I mean, it, it's a sesquiterpenoid compound. So it's, it's a, a plant-based compound. You find it in, uh, in cedar trees and you find it in grapefruits, okay. which is not a surprise because terpenoid compounds are, are made by plants to keep insects away yeah. because uh, insects they like to eat your your fruit or they yeah. like to eat your leaves so plants they produce they protect themselves they protect actually. themselves and and yeah. so therefore it's not a surprise that there's these there are these terpenoids these compounds that we talk about that they have repellent uh, properties okay. so that they can keep mosquitoes at bay so maybe that is a new one that will come to market uh, i don't know we have to see okay interesting stuff and um then Maybe the, the the last thing is that we are also always trying to uh, repel and kill mosquitoes, but why don't we just attract them somewhere else that is more attractive than me? Is that is that not possible? Well, I mean, so so I mean, I, I'm, I've I've just returned from the Maldives, as you know, uh, yeah. and that's that's where we are actually trying at the moment to make an island mosquito-free. Uh, by using the not the repellent part of the story, but the attraction part of the story. Oh. So, we are using we're using mosquito traps, large numbers of mosquito traps, okay. baited with carbon dioxide, which we exhale, baited with lactic acid, which we produce on the skin. And so we mimic a human host with a trap, and and uh, yeah, we're we're seeing fantastic results. But it should be more attractive than you. Um, and if it's the same, like the carbon dioxide and the lactic acids. Yeah. So, so actually, a human you have being. A secret ingredient. No, there's no secret <laughs> ingredient. I mean, actually, as it is, I mean, a human being will always be more attractive. Yeah. Uh, but if you're not there, and in the middle of the jungle is that trap, then that trap is going to attract mosquitoes. I, I give you the catch of the day before yesterday on the second island that we're working on. I was uh, 13,000 mosquitoes that we brought in in a single day. That that is that is very impressive. That is very impressive. And so, and these are Asian tiger mosquitoes. This this is the same mosquito that we're talking about that is flying around in Europe and France and. 
I can have one of your traps and put it in my backyard. Yeah, uh, in, in a few years' time, you will you will probably do that. As it is, the company that is producing these traps is doing mega business in France at the moment. Okay. Because of the problems with tiger mosquitoes in France. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I think that's where Corona is helping because people hear, oh, these mosquitoes can transmit virus. And when people hear virus these days, they get... They get scared, so they. I think they're willing to invest yeah, money it's, in, it's in the these the world of the year, unfortunately. Yes, yes. Okay. Awesome, uh, Bart. Really great insights. Um, is, is there one thing you want to give our listeners and viewers uh, as a the thing they should bear in mind? Well, I think I think the, the, I, I hope that people will start to understand that something that was always far away is no longer far away. It's here. The world is a village, and we're all neighbors these days. So if something happens on a market somewhere far away in China, it is with us within a few weeks. And when we're talking about our subject, when we're talking about mosquitoes and mosquito-borne diseases, it's not going to be very much different. So what we have to do is to learn that the word prevention is a valuable word. And that also means that if we have to put money in order to get prevention going and, and have optimal prevention, we should better invest now than solving all of the trouble afterwards. Okay. Happy World Mosquito Day. For you the same. Thank you, uh, Bart Knolls. Uh, do subscribe to our uh, channels on uh, Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, and uh, YouTube. Care Plus Podcast by Travel Health Group.